0: Hello and welcome to the Sports Ethos DFS Today podcast. I'm your host, Harris Kermani, and I'm going to be covering today the Sunday, February 27th NBA slate of games. And even though it is technically an eight-game slate today, it's actually a bit weird how they've gone ahead and split it up. And we actually have two different sets of slate, which is what I'm going to be focusing on today. Really, first and foremost, you have the two games that start at 1 p.m. Eastern today, which will have the two-game slate, including the 76ers facing off against the Knicks. you got the Jazz facing off against the Suns. Before then, we get into a five-game slate that would start off at 7 p.m of going off to the end we get that Celtics Pacers game kind of orphaned up there in between which we can actually go ahead and ignore so in a way it's nice to be able to laser focus a little bit more on certain plays that I do see here and we're going to get to go into all of that instead but first before we do get into it a shout out as always to our sponsor at Thrive Fantasy and if you haven't heard of Thrive Fantasy you definitely need to get on it because it is the premier place for NBA prop betting. The capability to be able to take the over and under on a number of different players on any given slate and if you happen to have five to ten of the right picks on a given night you will find yourself in the money and as a listener of sports ethos using the promo code ethos e-t-h-o-s you will get a 100 instant deposit match up to hundred dollars for new users so sign up and prop up today but with that let's jump right in to the slate. As I said, first and foremost, it's going to be a two-game slate that'll be starting in the afternoon. Starting off with the Philadelphia 76ers taking on the New York Knicks. At the moment, we're looking at a game total of 218.5 with the Philadelphia 76ers favored to win by eight. So definitely a game where it looks like you know the Philly 76ers, who had a great first game with James Harden coming in, are looking to continue that momentum as they go into the garden, which, as we know, is always a place where a superstar wants to be able to make his mark. And that's where I'm going to start on the Philadelphia side. As far as their injury report is concerned, they're good to go. No major uh, health concerns over here. Really, it's just Grant Riller. No one relevant at the bottom over there. But speaking of relevant, it's about starting off at the top. James Harden in his first game showed exactly what the Philadelphia 76ers had been missing from a shot creation perspective, a perspective of being able to create for others. And right off the bat, in his first game, played 35 minutes, looked absolutely rejuvenated, being in a one-two punch, which is a far more, I'd say, natural role for James Harden, rather than having to worry about two other superstars with him. And him and Embiid just fit like an absolute glove. Harden went off 58 DK points in his first game, and at 10,700, I am inclined to to say he's my guy to be able to go in on between him and Embiid. Again, Embiid is obviously a great pick no matter where you go, 11,400. Given it's a two-game slate, you could even find yourself taking both of them. But from a perspective of where the usage is going, where more and more of the assists are going to come from, I think James Harden, who looks ready to be able to make that big push going into the postseason at 10-7. Has a great spot to be able to get at least 5x here. Has done historically well in the the Madison Square Gardens. Had a great game against the New York Knicks as a net earlier this year where he dropped 65 DK points in that one as well. So really looking forward to him having a big one here against the Knicks. And then beyond that, really the rest of the people are pretty appropriately priced. And I know I'll get to shout out Mike to this, but Matisse Tybell. Finding himself again back in the starting lineup, more usage coming to him, and he's getting the advantage of a lot of this magnetism that James Harden is creating. We got him to see, uh, take seven shots in the last game, three three three-pointers attempted, and more so than that, he's getting more inside, getting up to seven rebounds in the last game to get a nice rounded stat line. Again, for 3,700, it's a nice dart throw to be able to go ahead and take from all these other guys, because Tobias Harris is clearly seeing his usage take a hit. 6800 would technically be a decent price otherwise, and I do expect his field goal attempts won't be sitting at the nine that he had last game, but I just don't trust him enough to be able to go ahead and do that, and Maxi is pretty appropriately priced for what he does as well, so that's going to be it as far as Philly's concerned. But on the New York Knicks side, you have the injury report. First and foremost, Derek Rose continues to be out. Quentin Grimes has been announced out as well and will be reevaluated in two weeks. And of course, we know Kemba Walker, who, whether injury or not, he's just been ruled out for the remainder of the season so that he can go ahead and prepare for the next year. So, you know, the Knicks show continues as far as that's concerned. The backcourt rotation has been Bit of a joke the entire year around, but at least now we can get a little bit of clarity on exactly where all of that's going to go so we don't have to guess on a night in, night out basis. But really, it starts and ends for me with RJ Barrett, a guy that we haven't technically loved being able to take, but in that last game against the Miami Heat, got all the way up to 46 points, including 22 free throw attempts, which is absolutely wild. To kind of go with his 22 field goal attempts. And the fact that he made 6-3. So that is obviously a night out for him. Not necessarily something you'd expect out of R.J. Barrett on the regular. But the fact of the matter is, outside of one dud against the Denver Nuggets before going into the All-Star break. He came back and just looked absolutely incredible in that first game. And again, at 7,300, I believe there's more than enough upside for him to be able to try and get that 5x pretty comfortably, in my opinion. I like him a lot more than Julius Randle at 9,200. I believe that's where the focus is going to be as far as my lineups are concerned. And then in the backcourt, you you can definitely take a shot at Alec Burks. You saw him get back up to 34 minutes in the last game. I believe he'll be there pretty consistently going forward given the fact that he is pretty much the primary ball handler left on this team. Emmanuel quickly had been Given enough shots, still only got 17 minutes in the last game as well. I just don't trust him enough, even though 4,000 would really require him not to do all that much to be able to hit it. The only other area of potential interest is Cam Reddish. And really, that's all about whether he can get more minutes. He's been stuck at that 13 to 16 minute mark. With Quentin Grimes now out as well, that opens up a couple more minutes, and we'll have to see if Tom Thibodeau decides that Cam Reddish is the way that he wants to go. And if that's the case, then I believe that his price tag, currently sitting at $3,500, you have got a pretty good shot to be able to get some good value. Moving on to the next game we have the Utah Jazz taking on the Phoenix Suns at the moment the game total is sitting at 225 and a half with the Jazz favored to win by two and a half so a close game expected out over here as far as the Vegas Lions are concerned and we'll start right off with the Utah Jazz themselves. First and foremost I absolutely love out of the two games these Utah Jazz pricings I think they're Far too cheap across the board. And we'll start off right with Donovan Mitchell sitting at 8,400. He's just in a spot where he has been playing far beyond that. Last three games now, no game below 46.5 DK points. Got up to 33 real points and hasn't had less than 30 real points in three of his last four games as well. So just in a great groove as far as his shot making is concerned. With Donovan Mitchell, it's all about him getting hot we know that he has points where he gets streaky where he can be a little tough and rough from the field goal attempts period but you know he's going to get somewhere close to 20 field goal attempts every night that he goes and if he's shooting it as efficiently as he is now and you often see when he gets on a roll he keeps it going this is going to be a great spot to be able to go ahead and take him obviously between the two games you have a significantly higher game total over here i expect this to be a fast-paced game phoenix even though they're going to be missing uh, main pieces as far as chris paul is concerned it's still going to be a team that is pesky as hell playing at home and you're going to have that opportunity for donovan mitchell to be required on the floor for more than you know his regular minutes he's been sitting consistently at that 36 37 minute period i don't expect that to change much and that's why donovan mitchell is going to be one of my big targets as far as this two game slate is concerned. Rudy Gobert is the other side that I'm looking at. Again, at 7600 just far too cheap for what we have seen him consistently able to do. Just go back to his last 10 game logs. All of them, except for two duds, are all sitting 40 and above. This is just a great price tag for him to be able to jump in. Again, you got DeAndre Ayton on the other side, which means that you're going to need more of that size to be able to go ahead and bang with that, and that's going to mean Rudy Gobert's minutes total is going to stay exactly where we need it to stay for him to be able to go ahead and get those big rebounding games. It's not about him necessarily putting up big points, we know that, but as long as he's out there, he's going to get up into the high teens as far as his boards are concerned, and the rest of his stat line will just round it out by the fact of him being there. The only other spot that I'm a little interested in as far as Utah is concerned is Mike Conley, I believe his price is right in the wheelhouse of where I would be pretty interested. Again, it's the fact that it's a two-game slate. You don't have that much margin for error at 6000 That's a pretty good spot to be able to take a Mike Conley who can get you consistently in the 30s as far as DK points are concerned. Again, a faster-paced matchup. His uh, shot attempts will likely be in that low double digits again, which gives him that opportunity to get up to his DK point value given the fact that he'll be on the floor enough to rack up those dimes and the odd sprinkling of boards that he does as well. So that's going to be the major ones as far as Utah is concerned. If uh, you know you are feeling a little frisky, then of course Jordan Clarkson is always in play as far as a uh, G, uh, GPP uh, pivot is concerned. Again, he gets if he can get hot, if he can get a shot going, he's always going to be in play, and that kind of goes same for Boyan Bogdanovich as well. But neither of them are ones that I necessarily trust enough to be able to do that. And in that price tag range, I'd actually be looking over at the Phoenix side, which is where I'll get into to really focus on those guys there. So as far as Phoenix themselves are concerned, uh, first and foremost, let's get to the injury report, which is Chris Paul continues to remain out, Campaign continues to remain out, and we know that uh, Frank Kaminsky, Dario Saric are already out, while Aaron Holiday is listed as questionable. So first and foremost... That backcourt rotation is going to be really interesting to see, given the fact that we already have two of their major ball handlers out, and if Aaron Holiday ends up going out as well, then we may end up seeing Alfred Payton get the start instead, and if that happens, I'm definitely interested in taking him for 3,500, as we know he just needs to be on the floor enough, he's never going to be the big shot taker as far as his team's concerned, but has always been a more than decent playmaker, has the capability to be able to rack up assists in a hurry, and if you can get on the floor for anywhere between 20 to 25 minutes, you can absolutely sign me up with that. But outside of the main guys, which I'll speak about in a moment, it's really that mid-range, kind of 4,800 to 5,000 range that's always been interesting to me as far as the Phoenix Suns are concerned and really that's where it comes back to over here as well I do believe Cam Johnson at 5,000 is my favorite of those guys that are there in between mostly because he is the most offensively adept of the guys that are there you know Jay Crowder we know is always going to be there and thereabouts he can get up for these tough matchups and he's going to be in play at 4,800 but Cam Johnson at 5,000 just has more upside to me given the fact that he can get hot and he takes a lot of three-point attempts. In the last three games, he has now taken a combined 24 three-point attempts. That's eight three-point attempts a game on average, and even if he can hit 30% of those, he'll find himself in a good spot to be able to round out the rest of his stat line. But as we've spoken about a multitude of times, Devin Booker as the point guard is always going to be in play. His price tag is starting to creep up. It's up to 9,500 now, but again, Two games late, I believe there's enough value to be able to go ahead and take the rest of these guys to be able to fit a you know, Harden, a Devin Booker, and potentially that RJ Barrett, Donovan Mitchell scenario while still having the rest of the money to be able to spend on the cheap options that are there. The other side is DeAndre Ayton, and that's really the decision you have to make. I do like Rudy Gobert for a $1,000 more. I think he's got more upside. I think he's got more capability to be able to rack up more boards, be more involved in a team that needs his capability to be out there as really the main big guy. On the other hand, Phoenix, as much as Chris Paul changes a lot of things, I actually think that hurts DeAndre Ayton because that Combination of Chris Paul getting it into DeAndre Ayton was helping his efficiency as well as his overall field goal attempts quite a bit. And while Devin Booker is no slouch as far as playmaking is concerned, he is obviously no Chris Paul, and that's going to end up taking a little bit away from DeAndre Ayton. I will never fault you for taking him. I just don't see that same level of upside that you could get with a Rudy Gobert on the other side, and then being able to take a few more kind of GPP pivots instead and. Go ahead and fade on deandre ayton now again since it is a two game slate i will just give you you know basically my tiers so first and foremost from the expensive tier i believe james harden is still the guy i'm going to be going for at 10,700. he's probably the guy i believe will have the highest raw dk points upside which is really what you need in this kind of a slate it's all about getting up as many points as possible not necessarily about finding just that 5x guy you want the one who's going to go above and beyond that and james harden has that capability As far as mid-tier is concerned, Rudy Gobert, 7,600. Exactly what I just spoke about. Anytime he has the opportunity to play mid-30 minutes in a close matchup, especially against another big man, which is going to require him to be more involved, both offensively and defensively, that's going to give a lot of upside to what Rudy Gobert can do. So sign me up for him. And as far as value is concerned, I said, I believe there's a couple of options here. Uh, Cam Johnson, technically... Might slightly just be out of value at 5,000 from 4,900, but I'm going to go ahead and cheat. It's my show. 5,000, Cam Johnson. We're going to say he's the guy. If you want to be a little more technical, Matisse Tybull is also going to be in play for me at 3,700. So both of those are definitely guys you can take a look into. Moving on into the main slate now. As we said, that uh, Celtics and Pacers game, which is at 5 o'clock, is kind of orphaned off from the rest of the slates as far as DFS is concerned. So we can go ahead and avoid that one. So we got a five-game slate, a five-game main slate, starting off with the Detroit Pistons facing off against the Charlotte Hornets. This one has a game total of 229.5, with the Charlotte Hornets favored by 10, so one of the few games tonight that has a double-digit spread, so you definitely want to make sure that's you aren't overexposing yourself in those kind of games with a blowout chance out there that being said as far as the Detroit Pistons are concerned their injury report is pretty much what it's been up until now Marvin Bagley who did hurt his uh, hurt his ankle in the Saturday game against the Boston Celtics is listed as questionable so we're gonna have to see whether he can get himself out there and Frank Jackson has been ruled out with a shoulder problem as well so we'll have to see what that does as far as the rotation is concerned but much as I've been speaking about for the entire season as far as Detroit's concerned the only guy I really trust consistently is Kate Cunningham he's going to be the guy that gets all the shot attempts he's going to be the guy who's looking to create all the offense for everyone out there and even though 7100 is a bit of a jump on his price tag the fact of the matter is he's been very much consistently in that mid to high 30s as far as DK points are concerned 38 36 and a half and 37.75 in his last three games And more so than that, his field goal attempts have been creeping up towards that 20 field goal attempts per game average. Uh, 19 in the last one, 16 the one before that, but then 22 up against Boston. So it's quite clear that the focus is going to be on developing him and his offense as much as possible. At 7,100, he's definitely my favorite Detroit Piston to be able to take in a slate that we have other options to be able to go ahead and take. More so than that, that small forward eligibility for a guy who's going to be a primary ball handler is always something that's of interest to me, so that only makes him that much more attractive. And then secondly, just comes back to that Marvin Bagley question. If we see that he, he is, in fact, ruled out, I'm going to continue and stick on that Kelly Olynyk train. I do believe he's going to turn it around. Yes, he hasn't had the minutes that we would potentially expect for a team that really could use his capability to stretch the floor. But he doesn't really need much to be able to go ahead and hit 3700. So given the fact that there are a number of studs I'm going to be speaking about. He's going to be in play for me as one of those where, hey, if everything else works out and I'm looking for a cheap guy to round out the lineup, that power forward slash center eligibility means I can fit him in a number of different spots. He could be a guy I end up finding myself landing on. Because beyond that, even though the price tags are relatively decent as far as both Sadiq Bey and Jeremy Grant are concerned. They just have found themselves with that bout of inconsistency that I just can't see myself getting on them given the fact that this is a 10-point spread game and given the fact that there's a number of other options that are going to be in that price tag that I just feel have more overall upside. Moving on to the Charlotte side, as far as the injury report's concerned, yeah, you know, we have Gordon Hayward remaining out indefinitely. We have Nick Richards, who's out. And we have Jalen McDaniels, who is also doubtful for this Sunday's game. With that being said, we know exactly what we're going to get with Charlotte. High-octane offense, and just as they did to my Raptors in the last game, they just have the capability to put up points in an absolute hurry and just blow you out. And I don't expect this game to be staying all that close given the fact that the Pistons just don't have the pace and, frankly, the offensive production to be able to keep up with the offensive juggernaut that the Charlotte Hornets are putting up on this end. With that being said, I am avoiding most of the major guys over here because I don't expect they're going to be needed to play heavy minutes in this game. Lamella Ball 9,600. He's always in play anytime anything's below uh, 10K, given the fact that he has the upside to be able to drop you 60 on a big night. But again, you're gambling with it if you're going with LaMelo on this kind of a matchup. I'm going to go ahead and avoid him, given the fact that we have that spread. And that same kind of situation spreads over to Terry Rozier and Miles Bridges as well. Both of them well-priced for what they've been doing. I'd say they're pretty appropriate for how involved they are in the offense now, especially Terry Rozier. Coming off a 47 DK point game against the Raptors, but not really one that you want to chase, given the fact that he's likely not going to be required to put up that kind of offense in this kind of a game. The other area, though, where I am interested in is Montrez Harrell. Plain and simple, we know that this guy never needs big minutes to be able to go ahead and put up big numbers. The fact that he has, in fact, been getting them overall since he moved to Charlotte is something of interest. But really, he's been a guy in 20 to 25 minutes. He'll be your high energy man, able to rack up 30 DK points pretty consistently. And he's been doing that. Pretty much game in, game out since he's moved over to the Charlotte Hornets into that center spot. He's been getting his minutes up at 6,100. I think that's a great spot to be able to take if there's some exposure I'm looking on. With the Charlotte side, it is going to be Montrezl Harrell. that's going to be it for me. And so you can always take the Kelly Oubre and P.J. Washington as far as taking a little bit of a pivot in terms of getting some more offense potentially. I'm looking at P.J. to get a little bit more involved in this kind of a game, given the fact that he has been on a little bit of a slump as far as offense is concerned. So we could see that and that's something to keep your eye on as well. But moving on over to the Clippers facing off against the Houston Rockets, we have a game total of 229.5 over here as well with the Clippers favored to win by 6.5. Again, a bit of a closer game, Houston at home, high octane game, it's going to be run and gun for both these guys, both young teams just absolutely looking to make their marks. And the Clippers just continue to be exactly who we've seen. Reggie Jackson continues to be the major force on the offensive end. But his price tag has gotten up to a point where I no longer think he he is of that value that I'm going to be taking. Again, anytime he gets below 7,000, he gets into play for me just because of the field goal attempts that we know he's going to get by and large. But at 7,600, that's just a bit too high for me. I'm more interested in someone like a Terrence Mann who has been consistently showing his offensive versatility now he's up to 30 field goal attempts in his last two games got up to 17 in the last game shot 9 of 17 there 45 and a half dk points just has been an absolute revelation as far as the offense is concerned from his end not necessarily a guy who was known for that coming into the year but plain and simple with all the injuries that have come around he's been asked to be a bigger uh, option as far as the offense is concerned and he has shown his capability to be able to do that so 6100 he is definitely in play for me but the other area of interest and this is uh, again going back to that kind of 4000 to 4700 in this case wheelhouse there's a number of guys over here that i have real interest in first and foremost isaiah hartenstein has gotten 25 and 28 minutes in his last two games that he's played, and we know that he is a permanent monster as far as DK points are concerned. Has dropped 40.5 and 32.25 in those two games there, and for him to be at 4,700 in a situation where he is likely going to be playing uh, somewhere close to that again, Given the fact that they're not, a Houston Rockets side, that is, are not necessarily the traditional bigs on their end. They've got a little bit more stretch. They need a guy who's going to be able to go ahead and compete with Christian Wood on the outside and be a little bit more laterally quick than someone like a Evita Zubots is. So I expect Hartenstein to be a little bit more involved. Yet again, if he can get to that mid to high 20s as far as his minutes are concerned, it is an absolute lock that he will get 5x. And he's one of my favorite um, value guys to be able to take on this lineup. And that goes alongside Luke Kennard, who, as much as we say Isaiah Hartenstein is versatile, Luke Kennard is here just to absolutely shoot. Just a gun. He gets up anywhere between eight to ten three point attempts a game. And with his shooting capability he does that efficiently. Obviously, we don't expect him to keep shooting at the 70% three-point rate that he's been doing for the last three games, but even if that comes down to earth, there is more than enough upside at 4,600 for him to consistently hit that value, as long as he gets the kind of minutes he's been getting, as he did against the Lakers. Again, the worry with, with Kennard is if he can get cold, then he's not really offering much else otherwise, so you're hoping that he can at least keep shooting at a decent enough clip to keep him on the floor, but... At 4,600, there is, again, more than enough upside. And the fact that he's got that uh, point guard slash shooting guard eligibility, again, puts him into a couple of different spots. It's actually kind of interesting that he's a point guard. He's never really handled the ball in there, but hey, DraftKings is going to Draft Kings. And then finally, it's the Robert Covington side. I, I will go ahead and say I still don't understand the Clippers rotation to be able to only give him 20 minutes, 21 minutes on a consistent basis. It doesn't make sense given how versatile he is, and he showed that. In that Lakers game, he was a key reason as to why they were able to pull out that win. Put up 32 DK points in the 20 minutes he did play. Just given that inconsistency as far as his minutes and usage is concerned, he's more of a GPP pivot than anything else. But again, at 4,000, there's just a lot of opportunity for him to be able to do better than 5x on that. And in a five-game slate, that's exactly what you are looking for. But moving on to the Houston side. as First of all, as far as the injury report is concerned, we know that John Wall and Usman Garuba continue to be out, but it's Kevin Porter Jr. that's going to be the point of interest over here. He is coming in questionable with his ankle up against the uh, against the LA Clippers here. And if he is sitting out, then Jalen Green again becomes a guy that I am absolutely laser focusing in on. Put up 41.75 DK points in the last game that he played. More importantly, his offense is starting to come around as far as efficiency is concerned. That was one of his biggest issues coming into the early season. Shooting anywhere between 38% on away games and 41% on home games. So it's obviously been just volume chucking, not able to get his shot going really. It's more about just putting up that volume and getting it going. But the fact that he is shooting 50% over his last three games on average, and that includes shooting over 40% from three, that's a great sign as far as his offense is concerned because he's not necessarily a point guard per se. He's a bit of a tweener. He's definitely more of a natural shooting guard. But given the fact that he's going to be getting Mid to high 30s, as far as minutes are concerned. He is one of my key plays as far as the Houston Rockets are concerned, especially in a game where, regardless of where the score goes, he's going to find himself on the floor. Houston has nothing else much to play for beyond really focusing on building up their rookies, their confidence, their shooting capabilities, all of that. So he's a lot more in play for me than a Dennis Schroeder, who at 5,100 is also a solid option. I just think there's a lot more upside with Jalen Green. The only other area that I'm really looking in on is Jayson Tate. So we spoke about Kevin Porter Jr. being out. If that happens, it's really Jayson Tate that ends up taking over most of those point guard capabilities. Uh, both Dennis Schroeder and and Jalen Green are more shoot first rather than look for their uh, look for their teammates kind of guys. Schroeder will get it just from the value from a volume perspective, but it's Jayson Tate that's really there looking to get his the teammates involved, and the fact that he has that power forward eligibility for a guy who's going to be one of the primary ball handlers is of interest to me. And basically those guys in that 5,000 range are more interesting and more attractive to me rather than someone like a Christian Wood who at 8,300 is just priced a little too high for what I can expect from him as far as consistency is concerned. Yes, he's got the capability to be able to put up a big game here and there. And in general, against the Clippers, he's never really found that same kind of groove and he often gets pulled early as a result. Even in the first game, he only played about 24 minutes in that one. I don't necessarily know how many minutes he's going to play in this game given how much the Clippers like to go small which is really going to put away from a Christian Wood so we'll have to see how that goes but it's really Tate, Green and Schroeder as far as the major uh, usage is going to be and where my major interest is in. Moving on to the third game of the slate we have the Dallas Mavericks taking on the Golden State Warriors in what should be probably the most fun match of the night to to be able to actually watch in terms of real basketball so I'm looking forward to that. But the Mavericks are at the Warriors in a game that has a 219 total. And the Warriors currently favored by three and a half. So definitely expect it to be a close game as far as that's concerned. And we'll uh, get into why with some of the uh, questionable sides as far as Golden State is concerned. Starting though with Dallas, really you can never look past Luka Doncic. Plain and simple, 11,700. He's a stud. You know who he's going to bring game in, game out. And more so than that, especially in these kind of games where you're going up against a star on the other side, Luca's going to try. And he hasn't necessarily had amazing games so far against the Golden State Warriors, but it's more because his shot just hasn't been going, and we've been seeing that turn around a lot more as of late uh, with that New Orleans Pelicans games where he really went into an absolute zone before the All-Star break, and even though he won 8 of 24 in the last game against the Utah Jazz, still was able to put up 51 DK points there as well. So his floor is always going to be secure it's really about how much upside he can hit on any given game. And if there's a stud I'm looking to gamble on, there's really only him, or I'm going to speak about Jokic a little bit later, but really it's Luka Doncic at 11,700. That is going to be the alpha and the omega, as far as the Dallas offense is concerned, definitely in play. The other side that was interesting was Spencer Dinwiddie showed his capabilities as to what the Dallas Mavericks are really needing from another guard to take away some of that, of offensive burden from a Luka Doncic. Uh, Jalen Brunson is the one who kind of took the uh, brunt of that only getting up 11 field goal attempts in that game. I do believe he'll get back to normal but Spencer Dinwiddie 12 field goal attempts put up 28 DK points. 5300 isn't necessarily the most attractive price tag for him but again it's about them needing that offense and on a matchup in which I believe the total is going to easily surpass 219. I mean, he's just going to throw it out there now. 219, I believe, is a bit too low for the matchup that we're going to see. So, Dinwiddie is definitely in play for me just because of that shooting guard capability. The fact that he's going to be needed to put up that offense on a team that really, really needs it. And the fact that Jalen Brunson is the one who's kind of taken a back seat uh, as far as the offensive uh, burden is concerned in the last couple of games. So, definitely something to keep an eye out on. And we'll see how that kind of shapes out. The front court continues to be something that's pretty much by committee as far as Dallas is concerned. We saw in the last game, Dwight Powell get all the way up to 20, uh, 26 minutes, got 12 field goal attempts in that game, put up 32 DK points, but I'm not really looking to chase that given that they're just as likely to be able to pull him out early, get a little more minutes in as far as Maxi Kleba is concerned. And then if that doesn't end up working out, then they'll even throw some Davis Bertans in there as well. Who we also saw get up to 19 minutes and scored 17 actual points, including five three pointers. So it's just whoever can get hot, and any given night is going to be getting those kind of minutes. And honestly, I don't necessarily trust any of them. If there was like a dart throw, I wanted to uh, be able to put out there, I'd probably put that on Davis Bertans, just because we know that if he can get hot, he's going to go ahead and stay on the floor, put up anywhere between eight to ten field goal attempts from downtown which should allow him to be able to hit that 3,700. But again, not the most exciting pick, given the fact that his minutes have been so up and down. Moving on to the Golden State side, though. First and foremost, we continue to have Draymond Green, who has been out, although he is back to being a limited participant in practice so hopefully we can see him back pretty soon as well uh james wiseman who has been recalled uh we don't know whether he'll actually get an opportunity to play in the sunday game as of yet it's unlikely he'll probably play later on in the week but the fact that he's getting close to return is definitely going to be something that's of interest to the golden state warriors and their fans igudala has also been ruled out the other one is clay thompson who is listed currently questionable with an undisclosed illness Uh, We don't know whether he'll actually end up playing, and that's where my eyes are going to be, because if he is out, then that mid-range area of the Golden State Warriors does become a lot more interesting, because Clay had been getting back to his offensive groove, had been putting up shots in a hurry, and if that goes away, then Jordan Poole becomes a guy who's of major interest to me. Plain and simple— We know Jordan Poole can put up points in a hurry. He was having a great season to start as far as this entire year was concerned. Obviously now has to play a little bit more by committee with everyone slowly coming back. But this could be a game where he sees his usage increase yet again and he easily has that capability to be able to put up 30-plus DK point nights if he can get to 25 to 28 minutes, being able to put up anywhere between 12 to 15 shots. And if Klay Thompson is out, that is likely what's expected, and he puts himself into the player pool for me. Kuminga continues to be a guy that I like pretty much most nights to be able to put out. I'm not always going in with Steph Curry just because of the fact that there's often other studs to be able to go here, but Kuminga has been a guy I've consistently found myself putting in for the Warriors not only from a perspective of Kaminga being a guy they really do want to develop, a guy who's getting a lot more focus on the offensive end, but more so you're finding him just getting so much more confident being on the floor, attacking the rim. Got up to 12 free throw attempts in the last game as well against the Portland Trailblazers. And really, he's blowout proof. He'll get his 25 to 28 minutes regardless of what the score line looks like, which is Great as far as knowing what his floor is going to be, and at 4,700, that's a pretty safe bet to be able to go ahead and take him. As far as Steph Curry's concerned, it's the same kind of thing as what I spoke about with regards to Luka Doncic, but at a lesser level. There's just more offense on the Golden State Warriors side, where I'd be happier spending a little bit more to go for a Luka Doncic in the matchup, rather than going with the Steph Curry, just because of the fact that Curry is likely not going to be needed nearly as as much as Luca is needed on the other side with regards to field goal attempts with regards to overall involvement with the offense especially if we're thinking about a jordan pool on this side as well so you know it's just one of those hedges that makes a lot more sense to me to be able to stick with taking a jordan pool here and then looking to see if i can fit Luca in as one of my studs that's going to be that one. Moving on to Denver taking on the Portland Trailblazers. This is the actual highest game total of the night at 231, with the Denver Nuggets currently favored to win by eight and a half. So not the closest of games coming up there, but it should be a high octane one. As far as Denver is concerned, they are coming on a back-to-back over here, so that's definitely something to keep. In mind, especially coming off a close game victory against the Sacramento Kings, so you had Nikola Jokic needing to play his entire 34 minutes, put up 50 DK points in that one, and Jokic is what Jokic is always going to be, an absolute beast as far as per minutes concerned, (laughs) alongside Giannis, remains to be the best in DFS for his point per minute production. Against Portland, he's not necessarily been needed to put up uh, the kind of numbers that's required because they usually blow them out pretty consistently. He's only played 28 minutes a game in the two games that he's played against Portland, shot 70% from the field in that for 48 DK points. So it's all about whether Portland can somehow keep this game close. I don't necessarily expect that given the fact that uh, Portland is also going to be missing a number of their guys. We already know Nurkic is out at this point, and there's a couple of more uh, questionable and uh, injuries on the Portland side as well, where that's going to make it even more difficult for them to be able to generate that offense. So, Jokic is, you know, as much as I could see myself taking this one on the chin and getting kicked in the knees for doing it, I'm probably going to be fading Nikola Jokic in this matchup, just given the fact that I don't expect Portland to be able to handle exactly what the Nuggets are going to be able to throw. That being said, I do like having some exposure on the Nuggets side over here, just given the entire points total. Now, I haven't really loved taking Monte Morris consistently up until now, but it's clear that he is going to be more involved with the offense than he has been for the last three games now. Putting up 30 DK points on average in that time, sitting up at 5300 on his salary, and more so than that, it's the fact that he is shooting four three-point attempts a game That is getting a little bit more upside as far as his offense is concerned. He's always been a little streaky on that side of things, but he has been finding himself in a good groove as far as that's concerned. Shooting over 70% for the last three games. Obviously, that's not necessarily sustainable from the three-point line, but the confidence is there, which means that his minutes are going to be there. And in a matchup where even if he plays 28 minutes, he's going to find himself in a great spot to be able to pay off that 5,300. Definitely one of the guys that are in play for me, and that's more so than an Aaron Gordon or a Will Barton, who I believe are both fairly priced for what they've been doing, and especially Aaron Gordon, who's been a little bit more involved on the offense, probably the one I trust a little bit more between the two if I was to choose. But again, by and large, I believe there are better options to be able to go ahead and take in that kind of 6,000 range. I'd probably pay a little bit more to get a Terrence Mann there instead, or I'd go and uh, see if I can get a Montrezl Harrell instead. Those are the ones where I'd be a little bit more excited to be able to take a chance on their upside rather than going with kind of a solid floor, but not nearly as much upside that Gordon and Will Barton will give you. On the Portland side, I'm going to keep it simple. First of all, the injury report is just a sea of red as far as Portland's concerned. So it's really, really interesting to see what they're going to actually be able to do here from an offensive perspective. Lillard is out. Nurkic is out. Nasir Little is out. Bledsoe is out. Dennis Smith Jr. is out. Cody Zeller is out. Joe Ingles is out. But And as far as the questionable side is concerned, we also have Greg Brown questionable with an illness as well. We have Justice Winslow also questionable with some Achilles soreness. So we'll have to see whether they can go ahead and get themselves on the floor. So really what it'll come down to is who is going to generate the offense on this side. Anthony Simons at 8200 is going to have all of that defensive pressure on him. So even though he's likely to go ahead and put up anywhere between 18 to 20 field goal attempts, I just don't like his opportunity to be able to actually put up the kind of DK points that we'd need for him to be successful. It's just going to be not enough offense coming in on the other side. So if there's any kind of dart throws you want to look at, you may want to be looking into the cheaper side as far as the Portland Trailblazers are concerned. First of all, we saw Drew Eubanks draw the start in the last game in place of uh, Trenton Watford, who we had spoken about prior to that. Again, not big minutes, but it all depends on how the rotation ends up going out. Got 21 minutes in the last game. Didn't really get much from the offensive end, but I do expect that that will start to come around as more lobs are thrown into him. And one thing we do know about Eubanks is that he can rack up blocks in a hurry if he can get himself out there for that. So it's a potential dart throw to be able to... Look at the other side, and this is again more of a dart throw. We'll have to see if Ben McLemore then gets the opportunity to be able to start if justice Winslow does in fact come out. They're going to need his three-point shooting at 3,800. It's going to be an important spot for him to be able to try and do something as far as offense is concerned. We'll have to see how that works, but yeah, not not super super exciting. By and large, I'm actually avoiding most of these Portland guys. I don't expect to have too much. Uh, exposure on this end over here and I'll just leave it at that. It's sometimes nice to be able to move on to the next game where I do expect to have a decent bit of exposure first and foremost. With the New Orleans Pelicans taking on the Los Angeles Lakers, we do have a game total of 223 with the Lakers favored by just one. So it's pretty much a pick 'em at this point. And from the New Orleans Pelicans side, as far as the injury report is concerned, we have Zion Williamson continuing to be out. Larry Nance continuing to be out. Kira Lewis also continuing to be out. But the rest of their rotation is pretty much locked in to what you expect. And... Really, as far as the offense is concerned, and as far as the overall production is concerned for the Pelicans, it's really three guys that have been carrying that load ever since the trade happened. That's CJ, JV, and Ingram. Out of those... First and foremost, I'm going to say I love Jonas Valanciunas in this matchup. He's got a great opportunity to be able to go ahead and dominate the bigs on the Lakers side. And just plain and simple, they don't have the size, nor did they have the overall strength to be able to match up to what Jonas Valanciunas is bringing. And more so than that, what we've been seeing since CJ has come over here and taken over kind of being the primary offensive option, Valanchunas' field goal attempts have actually been going up. He's got up to 16 field goal attempts in the last game, and his rebounding totals have really taken a sharp upturn. 18 two games ago, 17 in the games before that, so just so much to like as far as his floor is concerned and his ceiling is concerned. Jonas has always been one of those guys that I can bank on to be able to get into the high 30s to low 40s as far as DK points are concerned, so in most matchups I'll like taking him anyways, but... Given this one, given how close I expect this one to be, and given the lack of inside presence on the other side as far as the Lakers are concerned, I absolutely love taking Valanciunas in this matchup. He's going to be my favorite from the Pelican side. But CJ at 8,900, I will never fault you for taking him. He has been just an absolute man on a mission since he moved over to the Pelicans. It's clear that the Pelicans, first and foremost, are doing everything they can to be able to get themselves back into that playoff hunt, to get themselves into at least the play-in game. And that's meant that CJ, who has taken 25, 26, 18 field goal attempts in his last three games and consistently been in that 50 DK point range is just a guy who is going to be getting all the usage that he can handle. And for a guy that's still sub 9K, I think that's a great spot to be able to go ahead and take advantage of that against the Lakers team that... I mean, we've, we've spoken about the Lakers' defense by and large throughout the season it's been an absolute joke but more so against shifty guards guards who have that little extra burst when they get themselves going really find themselves in a lot of space against the Lakers there's a reason why for guards in general the Lakers are the 21st worst defensive team in the league and CJ is going to get his opportunity to take all the advantage of that between CJ and JV is where I trust the most I do think Ingram is at a good price tag but yeah, you know, we speak about upside, we speak about the capability of being able to put up that 50 DK points game from that kind of 7 to 8,000 salary range. And I just don't see that at the moment with Brandon Ingram. He's just not getting enough shots and not enough ball handling ever since CJ has come to be able to consistently say that he has that kind of upside. I'd say in cash games, he's a pretty good spot. He probably will be able to get somewhere near 5k or 5x on his value. But Beyond that, it's CJ and JB that I'm going to be focusing on, and the rest of these guys you can just go ahead and avoid. Moving on to the Lakers side, their injury report is pretty much what we've seen up until now. Anthony Davis continues to be out uh, with that last uh, with that last diagnosis in which he would be out at least two weeks. Still no further update for him to be coming back, and it looks like it's going to be mid to late March before we get to see him. So in his absence, it's been a lot more usage. I mean, at this point, I don't know how much more usage you can give, but LeBron James has been required to take on every little bit of burden and It is definitely starting to show. His efficiency is taking a hit. But at 10,900, you can just never bet against a LeBron James. In a matchup where they're expected to win by one, the Lakers need every game that they can get if they are to have any real chance of getting into the playoffs. Not in a great spot. Plain and simple as far as this point of the season is concerned for them. And sitting at a precarious ninth position, they can't afford to let any of these go. So LeBron is going to get to continue shooting 23, 27, and 18 field goal attempts in his last three games as well. And his upside, we know exactly what his upside is. He's going to be in that 50 range as a floor, and he's got the capability to put up 60 to 70 DK points on any given night, given how tight it is. We are going to speak about kind of the different studs that we could potentially go in between. And I'll I'll say this right here. If I'm not taking Luka Doncic, then I'm going to be looking at LeBron James to be able to be the guy that I believe in. Not only because, one... Late games, there's just something about taking a guy in a late game that I've always liked in general, but Lakers at home are really going to require more offense coming out of him. But the other side over here, and we can speak about the mid-range over here, but it's Dwight Howard who got the opportunity to start in the last game. 26 minutes played, put up 44 and a half dk points continues to be at the minimum salary of 3000 which is crazy to me you would have seen that adjusted I would have thought but hey I'm definitely looking to take advantage of this it's likely that he's going to continue to get the opportunity to start especially having Jonas Valanciunas on the other end he's going to be a big body to be able to put up against him which means that even if he's not necessarily going to be dominant the way that he was able to in the last game against the Clippers he is going to have the opportunity again to play that mid to high 20 minutes which should give him more than enough opportunity to put up a low end double double should be easily able to break 5x if not 6 7x on that 3 that 3,000 price tag so definitely a key guy for me to be able to look at <clears throat> the only other area I'm potentially looking at is Taylor Horton Tucker just plain and simple because of his price tag taking a 4,600 spot Small forward eligibility, the capability for him to get hot. He's more of a a cash pick rather than a GPP one just because you don't necessarily see huge upside as far as his offensive side is concerned or more so his ancillary stats, which are always sitting at between three rebounds, three assists, not really a big steals or blocks guy. But at 4,600, if you're looking at a guy to round out your lineup, if everything else has worked out, I do think he's in a good spot to be able to get uh, at uh, 5x at the very least, though... I would probably be pushing more towards Kuminga for 4,700 in between those two. <clears throat> so that brings us to the end of our five game slate for the main one. I'll move right into the tiers for me. First and foremost, as my expensive guy, like I said, there's a number of studs here, all that are in play, but I'm going to say that Luka Doncic is going to be the guy that I'm going to focus on as far as my expensive one's concerned. At 117 in a absolutely great matchup in a matchup in which he's going to be needed to be more offensively involved and the fact that the golden state warriors are missing some of their pieces with potentially clay also being out that's going to give more opportunity for the game to stay closer and for luca to do his thing so at eleven seven, he's my main guy at that mid-tier i'm going right back to that houston game that i spoke about Jalen green 5400 think is in an absolutely smash spot to be able to do well as far as his DK points are concerned. With Kevin Porter Jr. questionable, I'll have to keep an eye out on that. But if he is ultimately ruled out, that just makes it even more of an interesting spot for me to be able to take Jalen Green in a matchup that's expected to stay close. In a matchup that Houston is playing at home, second highest game total of the night. And regardless of everything else, Jalen Green is going to get his minutes. Great spot to be able to go ahead and take him. And then finally, as far as value is concerned... So many guys here, but plain and simple that Dwight Howard at 3,000 is just way too cheap for a guy who's going to be starting, who's going to be needed against the bigger body of a Jonas Valanciunas, and who's coming off a 44.5 DK points game in which he played just 26 minutes. Doesn't necessarily uh, seem like a big stretch to say that he'll get back to that same area. So sign me up for Dwight Howard. So that takes care of our main slate. Finally, it's just looking at the Thrive Fantasy side of things. I do believe there's a couple of solid options here, but you know, sometimes when you have uh, to me easy overs, you go ahead and take them. And I'm gonna give two of them today just because it is like that. First of all, Jalen Green, 17 and a half. Points and assists total, I believe that's an easy over. Just given exactly what I spoke about earlier, how involved he is on the offense, how many shots he's getting, and how much more efficient he has been as of late, I believe he could break that just on his points itself. So the fact that you have points and assists combined to be able to get you that 100 sounds like a great spot for me to be able to go ahead and take him. And then secondly, I'm going to go ahead and say that the Jonas Valanciunas 10.5 total rebounds over at 95 points Again, another great spot. Spoke about just how much more involved he has been in the rebounding side of things, in the offensive scheme of things, since CJ McCollum has come. Him and CJ are working quite well together. It's kind of taken Ingram a little step back, but it has been to the benefit of Jonas Valanciunas. So that is going to be the spot to be able to take a look at tonight. And that is everything. No, it's two games slate in the afternoon, five games late in the evening, lots of spaces for you to be able to potentially take down some tournaments. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at HAK underscore devil where you can hit me up with any messages, any thoughts. And as always, give us five stars for the for the podcast that you get to listen to, right? It helps us out a lot. You can get us out on there, and it really helps bring out this information to those who are really interested in taking advantage of all of the value that is there on a dfs podcast but until then it's going to be myself coming back for the monday slate with mike so you can go ahead and look forward to us there but until then let's take down some tournaments you guys have a great sunday